0: You have to do it sometimes, I tell you. Okay, so um, let's open our Bibles to Revelations 21 and verses 9 through 27. And this is a very interesting passage, so please bear with it and me. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in that spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It has the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It has a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates are inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the Israelites. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city has 12 foundations, and on them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square in length and the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 140 cubits by human measurement, which the angel was using. The wall is built of jasper, while the city is pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city are adorned with every jewel. The first jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh olivine, the eighth brill, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each of the gates is a single pearl. And the street of the city is pure gold, transparent glass. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abominations of falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now you can take a big breath and let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, and we are just thankful that we get to worship you today that we get to spend time getting to know you and your word. We are also just honoring that you are a mysterious God and your ways are not fully known, but you love to reveal yourself to us. Holy Spirit, we just ask that as you speak through this word that we grasp and sense what your meaning is to it. And it's in your name we pray, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Oh, Revelations. It's a fun book. Uh, it's a really fun book, especially because sometimes when you read it, you're like, huh? I don't get it. Um, it. It can be very, very intimidating. With all the prophetic imagery and metaphor, I mean, we can get way down with it. And this chunk of scripture is, is no exception to that. Um, man, and, and, and part of the problem with that is, with this imagery and this metaphor... We can get bogged down to the point where we're looking at these these little signs and then we're trying to watch the news and pinpoint them, trying to find out when the world will end, rather than looking at what God's trying to tell us, that he's redeeming us, that he is making his creation unified with him, which is awesome. And I think sometimes we need to remember, um, when we look at prophecy, what it really means. And... Uh, this great biblical scholar and author named N.T. Wright says it best. He says, We must remind ourselves yet once more that all Christian language about the future is a set of signposts pointing into the mist. Signposts don't normally provide you with the advance of photographs of what you'll find at the end of the road. But that doesn't mean they aren't pointing in the right direction. They're telling you the truth, the particular sort of truth that can be told about the future. And... Verse, chapter 21, verses 9 through 7, there is a particular tr- truth about the future. It's probably one of the best truths we get in Revelations. It's the hallelujah moment of God in his creation. It is the knowing that God is going to come, he's going to redeem this earth, and we are going to dwell with him face to face. I mean, if there's any other message, I'm glad I'm preaching this one. You know, I'm even if there's... 12 of everything and 7 of everything and a bunch of jewels. <sighs> uh, so what does that look like for us? And what is the scripture saying it looks like? So let's go back to um, verses 9 through 14. And you see John, and this angel comes, which must have been just phenomenal. and It's like, let me show you the bride of the Lamb, the bride of Jesus. And he's like, cool, i got to meet the bride. Kind of looks like Amanda McFerrin if you were here last week. Um long story. Anyway, uh <laughs> so he he's taken to this mountain, and what we see is this city called the New Jerusalem. And it's clear as glass and it and it's got streets of gold and it's got twelve walls and twelve foundations. And you're thinking to yourself, Bride, huh? That's quite interesting. This is the bride of Christ. And I think Maybe we need to understand some Old Testament uh, metaphor. And I think that's important. And I keep hiding behind this, so I'm going to stand here. Um, The metaphor that's important is any time that marriage is used as a metaphor in Scripture, and this is Old Testament and New Testament, it is reminding us that God is marrying his faithful people. He is unified with them as one, like a covenant in a marriage. So his people, his faithful, are us. His people in this, in this new Jerusalem are the Israelites who were faithful to him, to the 12 apostles and all the Christian believers of that time that were faithful to him, that accepted Christ as Lord, to us today and those in the future. We are that bride. And we are a great-looking bride, we are. It's a wonderful thing. So we, we get this image, and he's on this mountain, and he sees this bride, the city. So it's a city, but it's also us living there. And then we get to the fun scripture of walls and gates and foundations and and jewels. And you look at that and you go, hmm, it looks like a giant Rubik's Cube that's bedazzled. <laughs> How do you explain that? And uh, I think we need to realize a few things. Um, when it comes to the jewels, the jewels are are this beautiful, beautiful image. God isn't a great artist. Wouldn't you say when you, when you look outside and you see the beautiful sunsets that we're having, or if you go to the ocean and you get to look out in the vast expanse and, and see the waves crash and fill the sand, or you look at flowers and you go, man, God, I, I know that they pollinate and they serve a purpose, why, but why did you paint every one of them differently? It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And his city is going to be the same way. His creation is going to be this beautiful thing. So it's not some gaudy Rubik's Cube with, with gemstones all around it. It's, it's just this image of everything good and beautiful will be created in there. And then we have the gates, and we have the walls, and we have these angels guarding all of this. And, and I kind of get confused at that, too. I mean, God's there. Why do we need walls? Why do we need gates? Why do we need angels guarding this place? Especially the gates. The gates in the Scripture show that they're made out of one whole pearl. And pearls are an interesting stone. Um, When I was younger, I had a great-uncle named Uncle Donnie, and he was a jeweler. And he he was not a jeweler as in, let's go to Jared's and pick out a ring. He was the kind, he would sketch the gem and the pendant or whatever he was making. He would make the, it's like a wax cast. And I have no idea how that all works. And then he would melt the gold and put the stones in himself. And I loved going over to his apartment as a five-year-old. One, because he had this bowl of candy on his, on his table, and I could take as much as I wanted, which, you know, as a five-year-old, that's great. And then he'd bust out the good cease candy chocolates that he'd give to his guests. And you know, my mom just found this out, and she's very upset at it because she never got them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then he would open up his vault and pull out all these uh, rows of jewels. And I got to try them on. That is the best form of dress-up a little girl could ever, ever have. I mean, I had all these rings on my tiny little five-year-old fingers. They didn't fit. But I loved looking at them, and I loved knowing that they were created and in fashion in a certain way. And my favorite gem was the pearl. And pearls are very unique. Uh, There's a value in them, and and there's a beautiful, poetic way that they are made. Uh, Many of you might know, but... They're made from a grain of sand that's agitated in the mouth of a shellfish. It's called a mollusk. And it's formed, and it's formed, and it's formed. Unlike most stones, they're, they're in a rock, and they're strong. They're strong. Diamonds can cut glass. Um, but the pearl, my uncle told me, was very different. It, was, it, was, it had layers. Like our skin, if you go like this, small layers of skin flakes are coming off skin cells. Pearls were kind of like that. So if you, women, just so you know, if you're wearing pearls in your ears or on your body or on your on your fingers, take them off every once in a while when you're doing dishes, or when you're in the shower, or when you're putting your makeup on, or, or whatever it is, because it wears away. Um, you could be washing dishes one day and look at your setting, and that 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 pearl is gone because it, it, it's so thin that it fell out and it's down the garbage disposal. Not that that's ever happened to anybody, but. Um. <laughs> So, so these gates are made of these really fragile stones, these pearls, and you're thinking, God, if you want this to be secure, pearls, really, pearls? And the gates are always open. I mean, I'm not so sure about that. I I really don't know. And and fortunately, God's like, but I do because I'm God. So, um, (laughs) but 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 what it is is it's symbolic. It's symbolic. The gates can always be open, and they can be frail because God's there. The angels are there just to show his power and his might and his creation. They don't really need to be there because God's there. He's our security, and he's our foundation. And that's just great to know. Um, Sometimes in this world, we don't get to see that too often, even though it is there. So then we get to the last verses, and this is the hallelujah moment that we all are looking for. And John is talking about, and, and just to give you... A heads up, those are verses uh, 23 to 27. And actually, um, this is one of the best parts because it's something we sing about every Christmas. It's the Emmanuel, God is with us. God will be with us. This is the New Jerusalem. And when John is looking at this New Jerusalem, we see something really astonishing because in the Old Jerusalem, we have the wall like we do here, and we have people who worship like we do there. But unlike the old Jerusalem that had a temple that was sacked about 34 years after Jesus had died, where people went to worship God because that's where his presence was known to be, temple's not there. temple's not there because God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are there face-to-face with us. It's this holy communion part. And unlike in the old temple where only a few priests very few times a year could go into the holy of the holy and be in God's presence, but could never speak his name, Yahweh, and could never see his face, we get to see his face. We get to say his name. He is in direct relationship with us like a groom would be with his bride. How wonderful. I, I just, oh, it gives me chills. I'm so excited. I can't wait for that to happen. And in this new Jerusalem, it says there will be no sun and no moon because God's light will magnify everything. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm guessing there probably will be a sun and a moon, but we just won't need it because God's light will magnify everything and darkness will cease. There's darkness is gone, which means death is gone, which means sin is gone. And all the nations will be there. Worshipping and bowing down to the Lord, all the faithful. Can you imagine what that's going to look like? Can you imagine a place that there's no more cancer? There's no more body decay? There's no more mental illness or addiction? Can you imagine a place where war no longer is? Where sexual deviance is no longer an issue? Where abuse is no longer an issue? I cannot wait. It is our hope. I mean, you look on the news right now. I mean, just look at this past week. We have Jesse Ridgeway, this 10-year-old girl in Colorado, gets kidnapped on her way to school and is found murdered. We have, and I have to look at my notes for this because her name is is a long one, Malala Yousafazi. She was that girl from Pas- Pakistan that decided that it was important for girls to learn how to read and write and do math. Things we take for granted here. And the Taliban did not like her. So they went and shot her on a bus. Shot her in the head. But fortunately, God's already redeeming her. She came out of her coma a couple days ago and is alert. So they didn't get what they wanted, fortunately. And then we have Syria. We see it on the news almost every day. The Peace talks aren't working. And a couple days ago, a car bomb went off in Damascus, a near a Christian community. We see these things, and even as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're just like, what the heck is going on? Where are you? Why aren't you fixing this? It bogs us down. And yet, with this new Jerusalem, this, this future thing, it, it's here today too. When Jesus came to earth, he not only died for our sins, and was resurrected and conquered death, but he came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. You see in Matthew and Mark especially, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is like, I come proclaiming the king and the kingdom. It's this veil that was torn between this heavenly realm and our earthly one. And we get to peek through and see what that looks like, and it's reflected on this side. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven now so that we can reflect what the kingdom in the new Jerusalem will look like in the future? It's simple things. It's things like having a rummage sale and getting proceeds and taking care of people in the community and around the world. I think last time Stephen mentioned you guys are doing some clean wells and possibly providing for um, stopping human trafficking. Those are huge things. We take our life for granted so much, and yet we understand that people need water. And that is a gift from God, and people have the freedom not to be slaves of someone else. Um, It's when we decide, oh, even though I love my soy vanilla latte from Starbucks, I'm not going to use that $5. I'm going to go donate it to someone who needs a meal today. It's even when you help a mother who's wrangling five kids at the bank and trying to get her stuff done and holding the door open for her so she doesn't have to do that task. And we also see it in these huge, huge things. We see it in people like Desmond Tutu. I don't know if you know much about Bishop Desmond Tutu, but he is one of the advocacy people that fought for apartheid to end in South Africa so groups could work together and be all seen as human beings. And the standard mother, Teresa, I mean, she was an amazing woman. She went over to India to help people who... In the cast that they were in were called the untouchable, the unlovable. They could never, never be touched. And while they were dying, she's holding them in, their, in her arms and saying, I am val- you are valued, you are loved, God loves you, and you can die in peace. And then we also have other people, like our old president, Jimmy Carter. Did you know Jimmy Carter turned 88 last month? He is an old man, and he has get up and go. Do you know where he is right now? He's in Haiti, building houses for Habitat Humanity, him and his wife. I'm afraid to put a nail on a board. I can't believe an 88-year-old is doing okay with that. It's just amazing. This is the kingdom. This is us reflecting the light, the Holy Spirit that lives within us through our acceptance of Christ our Lord or Savior, being reflected out in the world right now. It's part of this kingdom. It's part of now in what is to come. And we have the choice every day to be that light in this world or not. We have the choice to either live for ourselves, which sometimes is so much easier to do. We have that choice to be what the world is, which is selfish, which is devalues people and, and just become worse and worse as it seems to go on, unfortunately. Or we have the choice to be a transformed human. We have a choice to, to transform what God has created us to be, the truly valuable of, the, of humanity, because he made every one of us, so we all have value. And transform other people's lives so that when we are in that city of God, when it finally does come, that new Jerusalem, we can look at it face to face and be okay. And we can turn around and see everybody else that's with us and have a huge hallelujah party. I think that's a beautiful picture. And I think it's something as we go out into our daily week and we're in traffic and and someone's being a jerk on the road in front of us and then they put on the blinker, that we let them in. Or that at work we don't worry about the rays. We celebrate the person who got it other than us. Um, we do all these things to reflect Christ's light, even in the simple and to the extravagant. And that's what this passage is about. This is the passage of hope. This is what's to come and what is already in us. And I just, I just relished that time. So, let us pray one more time about this new Jerusalem and about the kingdom of God here and now. Oh Lord. Thank you for giving us revelations, and and thank you for John, who probably was so confused at what you were showing him, but writing it down anyway. And thank you that your promise of this redemption of creation, of this redemption of your people, that you will live with them, is here and now and will become more present in the physical sense in the future. Father, we bless you and we praise you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.